Well, good afternoon. Good to have you all with us today. And let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew. We continue on in our journey through the Beatitudes. If you were the inaugural speech that Jesus gave, which uh, would certainly have been received, um, what would we should say? A very unexpected message that uh, Jesus would have given to those. And uh, we'll find it again in Matthew chapter 5, and we'll begin reading at verse 1. Matthew chapter 5, beginning reading at verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under feet of men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Let us thank God for the reading of his word, and also let us just go to prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. We thank you that you are God, and that you alone are God. Thank you that you're not one to change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, thank you for that. Father, there's so many things that we come before you with today that we can't even express adequately, but we suffice it to say, may we bow at your feet. May we wrap our arms around you, because you are loving, you are giving, you are eternal, and love us. Father, these moments that are before us, we thank you for those that have come out and are wanting to praise and to worship your name through studying your word, through praising it in song. And now, Father, bless them and their families. We would ask that you would open their minds, that you would have all of them. And, Father, today, as a result of your word going out and the power of the Holy Spirit, that relationally they will have never been closer to you than now. Father, we ask again that the Holy Spirit would be our sole teacher, using the word of God to comfort, to encourage, and to strengthen us for the days ahead and even for this day. We rest in you, knowing you're the only way, the only place for us to be satisfied and fulfilled is in you. We'll ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, we approach this for, I think this is our fourth time together, in the Jesus literally in his inaugural address comes before a lot of people, and he set it up by doing some healing. He was 
doing things that people would recognize as being very valuable, very beneficial to them. And now he sits down on this mountaintop, not mountaintop, on the mountainside, I should say it that way, and he begins to teach. He begins to, to speak to these people that have gathered to hear what is this guy going to say because he looks like a winner. We've watched him heal people. We've watched him do things that no one else has been able to do. And now we can't wait to hear what he's going to tell us because it must be crazy good. And we've got these silly Romans that continue to just, just hover over us and we the Jews should be free. And this must be the coming of the kingdom age. So they're all excited. And then he says something like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, are being humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And at this point, early on, they would say, Who's he talking to? That can't be possibly a message that we should need to hear because that's totally the antithesis of everything that we've been brought up to believe because we're supposed to be the overcomers. We're to be the overpowered. We're the chosen people. And now, isn't it time for this, our Messiah potentially, but he's got the wrong message. He must have got the wrong speech. He must have the wrong speech writer. What's going on here? There was probably a rumbling and a mumbling through the group. wondering What in the world is going on? But I'm here to say that he would say the very same thing to us. If we could have Jesus here today, I would gladly give him everything. I w- but I'd, I would want to sit right here just like you guys love to sit in the front row. I would want to be here in the front. That didn't work either, did it? <laughs> at, at any rate, Jesus would tell us exactly the very same thing. Because he was interested in attitudes. He was interested in heart issues. He was interested in those things that make us who we are where a lot of the people who were gathered up were all and only concerned with externals. Those things that we, are, that we see and that we hear and all of those things that literally make us more important potentially. And Jesus said, I'm even going to tell you one better. And this was a seminar on happiness. That, that would sell, wouldn't it? How about if we, how about if we uh, just had one downtown in Sheridan? I bet you we could magnify the amount of people coming if we said, how to be happy in Madison County. How many do you think would attend? Probably a lot of people. They would certainly be interested. And quite honestly, I think that's why Jesus set it up this way. You want to be happy? You want to be fulfilled? Do you want satisfaction in your life? And everybody says, amen. Or yes, one of the two, right? (laughs) And so he brought this message. And it would have been with mixed reviews, shall we say. And we find ourselves today in the fourth simple couplet, I, I would say a simple statement that literally, again, would take us by total surprise. He started with humbleness and then mourning, that is mourning over our sin, our, our, I would just say the sense of our shortcoming. There's no way that we could measure up to what God really requires and has asked. And then that one of meekness last week, I, that one hit me pretty hard, really, quite honestly, is meekness. Meekness is a trait or a characteristic that I would say a very, 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 a couple more times, very, very, that no one is really seeking after. Meekness, we had it on the board last week. Meekness in most Americans would equal weakness. So untrue, totally untrue. Meekness allows us to release to God when we trust him fully and completely to allow him to take over. 
and it's power under control. And you can watch that from a distance. We looked at several uh, instances from the Bible, but in our own lives, in our own lives, when we have the ability or the power to take control of something, but when it's in the best of the other person or persons for us not to do that. <laughs> See, it's so easy for us to push with all the power we've got wanting more. Correct? That's just how it works. Jesus Christ, there's no greater example of someone having, there's no more power than Jesus Christ really literally laid at the feet of God, his father, to give his life and sacrifice it for the good of the rest of the world that were torn in sin. And yet he did. That's meekness. And we looked at several other examples. But today we want to go to verse six. Let's take that one and read it. Blessed are happier those, I'm sorry, blessed are, are happier they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, again, that sounds rather odd. First thing I would like you to note is the fact he's not saying that happier those that possess righteousness. And he said, I never even thought of it that way. No, but you should, because that's not what he's saying. He said, blessed are happier those that are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. There's a difference. If there's someone that thinks that they possess righteousness... Anyone coming to mind? Maybe a little bit self-righteous, if you heard that term? I will tell you something from that right there. They will not be happy because they think they've arrived. And there's no way that could happen. Jesus is saying this, that to hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. Well, let's talk about hunger for a moment. Hunger or thirst. If I was going to ask, how many of you have experienced those sensations, those things? And most of you, I would think all of you at some point would say, yes, I've been hungry. I have thirsted. That's pretty normal. Those are, excuse me? Thirst. Anyway. Thirst, yeah, for sure. And, and there's something about particularly thirst. When you're thirsty, you're really thirsty. I was reading uh, in part of my preparations today, there was a book written by a gentleman that was in the World War I, and they were uh, going through a stretch of desert, and they had no water. And there was a large group of them, and they knew they needed to keep pressing on because the last thing you want to do, if you're in the middle of a desert and there's no water where you are, you probably shouldn't stay there. Correct? It should push you on. Do you, you, you almost see this connotation? It's the same thing. Thirst should move you on. And it's almost the same. Let's keep moving. And they actually got to the point where it was so desperate and so dire. There were those that straggled and were left behind to never be seen again. It was that serious. It was that, and finally, they approached this, this area, I forget the name of it, but it was a spring, and there was clear, fresh water there. And he said, you have no way of understanding how precious that was to hear that water as we approached it. We, and he described their conditions. You know, literally, their, their lips were turning blue and black and were splitting. And, and, you, and you think of all of that. Now, I'm not talking about just being thirsty for a glass of water. I'm talking about thirsting literally to the point of losing life. That's the word that we're using here. I think of the prodigal son in the sense of hunger. And we've all said we're hungry. But, you know, and it's, we're kind of time sensitive. You get me at about that noon to 1 o'clock. I don't know that I even am hungry, but I'm hungry, right? It's just time to eat. Uh, we're kind of, yeah, kind of out of a habit. But think of that uh, prodigal son. We find him in Luke chapter 15. You know, when he was hungry, remember, I should step, let's just take a step back. The prodigal son, he had a lot of yearnings, didn't he? He had a lot of ambition. And that's another word we could use for hunger is 
the sense of ambition or passion. When you're passionate for something, you're hungering for something. We'll take another, we'll look at several examples, but I'm thinking of the, of the prodigal son today. He had an ambition, didn't he? What was his ambition? What was the young, that young prodigal son? And I, I should just call him, he had two sons. The father had two sons, and the one son, the older and the younger. And the younger, his passion was what? See the world. I would have to say maybe we could call it a, a passion for pleasure. I mean, he, he was looking for the easy life. He wanted stuff to be just fun, 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 fun. Okay? And that was, his, that was his drive. That was his ambition. And usually there's a cost to fun. You ever notice that? It costs money to have fun, <laughs> at least from a world's perspective. And so he went out and took his father's inherit, the inheritance he received from his father. He asked for it in advance. So he wanted pleasure now. No waiting. I want it now. Does that sound like America today? I want it now. It's a microwave society. He was, he was the first one of the microwave society. He wanted fun now. And his father gave him his inheritance. And he trotted down the road. And you know what happens? He was parted from his money. And the fun stopped. And it says he was hungry. What did he do when he was first hungry? He went to go feed pigs. He found a job. He was hungry. But when he was starving, he went to his father. Isn't that beautiful? That's exactly the way it should be for us. I'm not talking about just having a little bit of hunger for God and his righteousness. I'm talking about literally a ravaging starvation because you will attack it much, much differently. It will be overwhelming how you will attack it differently. That young man had to really fess up to some things, first of all, to think that he could even go back to his father. He said, you know what? I'll just be a servant. Did you see almost those first three things that Jesus talked about in the, in the, the blessing or how to be happy? First one was what? How to be humble. That first, that prodigal son, he had to step her down a notch because can you imagine trying to make that trip home with his father having given all of his inheritance and now you're just going to show up and be a son again? No, no, he was humble to the point, I just want to be a servant. I'm better off being a hired man for my dad than to do what I'm doing right now. And you can see there's a sense of a sorrow or a mourning over his sin and what he had done. And there was certainly a sense of meekness. I, dad, I got nothing. I'm just here to do whatever it is you want me to do because I know I'm better off in your camp than anybody else's camp. And he went home to seek his dad. You can see that, the change that took place. Hungering. It's a passionate force. It's ambition, a strong desire. Now, there's good and there's bad senses of desires, obviously. Let's look at one, uh, an example of one, that an ambition that was really robust and has lasted literally, you ready, for thousands of years in this individual. And you're, thousands of years, and then, yes, in this individual, it was a created being, he had an incredibly strong, passionate desire, and it was the wrong one. And he still is in full force of that passionate desire, just has him gripped. You're saying thousands of years? Yes, thousands of years. And you're wondering, where are we going to go in the Bible for this one? Well, let's go to Isaiah. Let's go to book of Isaiah, and we'll tune in to verse or chapter 14 and verse 13. Isaiah 14, 13. And it actually names this individual for us. God is speaking of the most awesome creation. And I'm saying that specifically because if I was going to say, if I was going to ask you, what is the opposite of God? 
And I'm talking big G. I'm not talking about a little God here, you know. I'm talking about the Yahweh, God Almighty. If I was going to say, what is the opposite of him? And you would say, yeah, that's what you would say. And you would be so wrong. Not that it wasn't a nice try. It was a great try. It was a great try. And I wanted that answer, by the way. I'm trying to pull it out. And you gave it to me so willingly. I love it. But it would be totally and completely, 100%, without question, wrong. Why? Because there is no opposite to God. God and God alone is who he is. Satan was a created being of God that wanted to be like God. Now, he wanted to be. In fact, he wants to be known as the opposite of God. And he thinks he's so powerful and so mighty and so amazing. And you know what? He's not even a pimple compared to God. But he had great desires and great passions. Let's find them in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 13. It says this, for thou hast said in thine heart. That's where aspirations begin, don't they? In the heart. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now, those are extensive and abnormally high, passionate, hungering dreams. And what did God say? It says in verse 15, it said, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And that's still coming. If you go back to the book of Revelation, you will see where the culmination of that particular story, I'm not saying a, a, a fact of what Satan declared and what he wanted to be and where he's ultimately going to end up is going to come true because God and God alone is in charge. And I'm really glad of that today in America. I'm glad that God is in control. It doesn't look like it from time, but he's in control. Just as Lucifer, the morning light, which his name now is Satan, the destroyer, he is totally within the confines. Now, what was it that he was seeking, though? What would you say that he was hungering after? What was he hungering after? In those, just those two short verses, it gives us a pretty clear picture. What was Satan, I'm sorry, Lucifer, what was he seeking? What was he desiring? What was he passionate about? What was his sole purpose, his sole desire to move forward? He lived it. He breathed it. Everything about him wanted this. What was it? Power. It was power. He wanted power at any cost. And you know what? There are individuals in our world that are driven by the same thing. They find themselves, and, and there's actually a, a quick little power corrupts, and absolute power absolutely corrupts. And we see that at high levels in government or actually in any place of which, again, one is afforded a great deal of power. They want more. That's something about that, isn't it? More and more and more, and that hunger never really is satisfied. We find another one in Daniel. Let's go to the book of Daniel for a moment. Daniel chapter 4. And let's look at a king. This king had some aspirations of his own. Daniel, chapter 4. This, name's, this man's name was Nebuchadnezzar. Now, as you think about this, in a world in which he found himself living, there was probably no one more influential. There was probably no one more that would have been at a higher realm of, I would just, I would, again, I would use that word power, but he's even looking for something different. He wants something more. Let's go to Daniel chapter 4, and we're going to find in verse 30. Verse 30. 
Now, literally, he had had a vision. If you were going to go and read a passage tonight in Daniel chapter 4 and starting in verse 1, you'd find that he had a dream. And ultimately, that dream was interpreted by Daniel, a man of God, and he told him what the dream meant, and it apparently didn't mean anything to him because verse 28 of Daniel chapter 4 is the unfolding of reality now based upon the dream that this man Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the world, I would almost say, uh, is going to take place. Verse 28, chapter 4, it says, All of this, that would be that was within the dream, came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, one year after Daniel had interpreted this, he walked in the palace of the kingdom in Babylon. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what he says. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Now, that's a pretty straightforward sense of what would you say that would a nice picture of arrogancy or pride and what was he looking for and you, you see it noted it was it ended in a question mark what was he asking what was he literally asking from that asking someone to ask that question he was asking a question what should have been the response oh well only you nebuchadnezzar way we praise your name you are an amazing person and individual and a king and possibly even becoming a god right that's what he's looking for he was looking for praise that wasn't his. And if you find, it continues on here. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. They shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall I pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And the same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men. He did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were growing like eagles' feathers and his nails like birds' claws. Now, I'm, I've tried to do a visual with that. I just know it's not at exactly what Nebuchadnezzar thought he wanted. <laughs> the fulfillment right there was not in Nebuchadnezzar's dream world. He was asking for praise... And he got a lesson in humility. But the really cool part is, is after seven years of that, now how would you like to, how would you like to have a family reunion? Uh, grandpa's, uh, uh, grandpa's out in the pasture. Yeah, that's right. He, uh, maybe we shouldn't bother Grandpa right now. He's really hungry. Yeah, exactly. Can you, can you, right? And we're laughing about it, but just think of that. Now, what's going on in Nebuchadnezzar's mind? Apparently, he still had the opportunity to reason. I'll, tell you, I'll show you why. For seven years, and I'm wondering, why was it seven years? It maybe took him a while. <laughs> Less than sometimes that God's hands take is longer than it should. I know in my case, it's probably that way. I have nothing to say about that but this. Verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes to heaven and my understanding returned unto me. I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom is from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? That sounds a very different line from just a few verses earlier. Now watch what happens. Verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned unto me and for the glory of my kingdom 
And mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors, my Lord, sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, and all whose works are truth in his ways, judgment, and whose that walk in pride he is able to abase. That is a complete turnaround in a man that I don't know could even be more distinct or decisive. Isn't that amazing? That's a turnaround. Now you talk about a metamorphosis. That's literally a guy that was eating grass to praising God. Amazing. But not none, again, keeping in context what we're trying to see is the hungering that this man, Nebuchadnezzar, had was he was praise hungry. Oh, by the way, I didn't, I didn't ask this question. In, in Lucifer's case, a power, he was looking for power. He wanted to possess power. How does the fulfillment go with that? No fulfillment. Now you say, well, he, has, oh, he, has, he certainly has power, but the level of which he sought, it's not going to happen. Guaranteed. Absolutely. And he knows it. You know the day that it finally, finally just clicked in? I'm convinced when it really became loud, it was so, it was, must have been just reverberating in that being's whole, I don't even know what to describe him as, but whatever it is that he is, it must have reverberated when he saw the Son of God on a tree that he had used the evil men to put there, he thought, and nail him until he died. And he said it was finished, and they put him in the grave, and he thought he won. And three days later, there wasn't anything he could do to hold Jesus Christ in that tomb. And he rose from the dead to seal the deal that God said would happen. Praise God. That's the God that we serve. So we had a power-hungry no fulfillment. We have a praise-hungry, no fulfillment. I want you to go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, let's look at one more. We've talked about the prodigal as well. But I, that was a pleasure-hungry individual. Let's look at one in Luke chapter 12. We'll, we've used this, I guess, in the last six, seven months probably, but we'll look at it from a little different context. Luke chapter 12, and we'll dial in to verse 16. <clears throat> Verse 16. He spake a parable unto them, saying, Luke 12, 16, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast met much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, this individual was very obsessed. He was hungry. He was ambitious toward the sense of possessions. He wanted possessions, and he wanted a lot of them. And he was setting himself up for having more and more and more. In other words, you couldn't get enough possessions. And again, no fulfillment. You can read the rest of that parable, and you find that literally that night, that day, God required of him his soul. And when you think about all the chasing and the ambitions and the desires and the hungering after externals, all of those will end up empty. Empty. Now, food and water are necessities. There's no question that physical life depends upon it. And it's interesting when you find a famine in the scriptures. Uh, One of them actually literally brought a family back together. 
first of all, drove them apart and then brought them back together. I'm thinking of Joseph and his brothers. Remember Jacob? And he's got these boys, and Joseph was hated by his brothers, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites. That's pretty bad when your brothers want to sell you. When you start hearing that among now families, listen carefully. If you, if, if you hear about your brothers or sisters wanting to sell you, I would take special note. <laughs> and they did. They sold him. And he goes to Egypt. He does all the right things at all the right times, and he's paid with all the wrong things. Right? It wasn't working out. But it's told that a famine entered the land. And Jacob finally said to his sons, he said, what, what are you guys just going to look at each other and die here? Go get some food. I hear they've got it in, in Egypt. Isn't that interesting, though? The only reason they have food in Egypt is because God made sure that Joseph got to Egypt and they had all of these resources, but he was the only one that was wise enough to see God's plan, and he manhandled or manipulated that entire country to have food for the rest of the world in a very strange way. Have you had strange things happen to you that you say, what are you doing, God? He's probably up to something that is amazing that you could never have imagined and will take you places that you couldn't have been unless it was just that way. How would Joseph, if you would have asked Joseph when he had give, been given that coat of many colors and he said, why don't you tell me about the next five years, Joseph? The next ten years. Tell me about what's going to happen to you. He wouldn't have had a clue. Just as if I would have asked each one of you, probably January 1st of this year, tell me what 2020 is going to look like. You would have missed it. I'm pretty sure. You wouldn't even got close. But when you're in God's hands, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're hungering and thirsting after him. Now, your spiritual life depends on spiritual hunger, a hunger for God. The world is feeding or looking on all of the wrong things. They're not seeking the bread of life. In fact, they make fun of it. Let's go to 1 John for a moment, and let's look at 1 John chapter 2 in the, in the sense that the world, the system, its society, there is no satisfaction there. 1 John chapter 2, turning down to verse 15, John the Apostle says clearly, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And guess what? The world passeth away. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. A huge difference. Back to Matthew. You probably have your finger there. Matthew chapter 5. Turn to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Uh, Jesus continuing on. This is later in his sermon. This uh, sermon that we were given words in Matthew, the declaration of the king speaking, his inaugural address, if you will. And in the middle of this, in chapter 6, he unfolds for them once again the sense of the righteousness of God. And he says in verse 33, chapter 6, But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, the other thing that's interesting in these words, hungering and thirsting, going back to chapter 5 and verse 6, our text today, it says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. That hunger and thirst is one, it's a, it's a condition that Jesus is using that it's active and it's continuous. It's not something to come, not something that will go away. It's a continuum that if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. In other words, you just don't get there and attain it and then you have it. 
Oh, I've arrived. Well, finally, I've done enough hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I have all that I need. No, 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 no. A thousand times no. It's a continual state. It's a continuous principle. In fact, when, when in a physical standpoint, if you're hungry and you could just eat a bear, you're so amazingly hungry. But guess what? When you eat, what happens? The hunger subsides. Now, for some of us, we have to eat another piece of bear to be less hungry. But nonetheless, it, the more you eat, the less hungry you become. Now, that's very different, the principle that's laid out for us here. And we'll get into that in a moment. When you're hungering, thirsting after righteousness, the more that you eat or devour of God's word and his righteousness, the more you want. It's an insatiable appetite that continues to get more insanely robust the more that we participate in it. And yet, I want to just throw this out. We'll come back to it. He says this, and you're still in Matthew chapters 5 or 6. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And you say, wait a minute. That's like a paradox. And you just told us that the more that we hunger and thirst, the more we hunger and thirst. And yet it's that there you're going to be filled. There's a sense of satisfaction along with the progress that you make. One of the questions you might ask yourself, are you satisfied with yourself? I'm not asking, you know, I see more heads nodding sideways than up and down. That's good. That's good because literally, if you would have said, you know, really, as I think about it, I am completely satisfied with myself. I have all of the knowledge I need. I have all of the truth I need. I have all the righteousness. I, I, are, you, are you sick of this already? Yeah, I've got to stop right there. Because what is that telling us? We have missed it completely. There's no hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You've missed it. No, no. Truth, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, is, it's never, ever met with complete satisfaction. In other words, never needing any more. But you're always wanting more, and along the way, you're still fulfilled. It's one of the coolest paradoxes that I can think of in Scripture. You're fulfilled because you're seeking it. You're hungering and thirsting. In fact, you're going to be happy if you are hungering and thirsting. Think of that. But at the same time, it never stops. The more you devour God's word, and I like that word. I like, you know, if I came to you and I said, no, would you guys please go home and read your Bible this week? Would you for once do the right thing and read your Bible? Now, see, if I have to tell you to do that, or if anyone does, not just me, I'm concerned that you maybe don't know the Savior because there's an insatiable desire to hunger and thirst after the Word of God. And if you're, if you're in that, and everybody can kind of get into that, what I call that slow zone, you know, just like, ah, right? You're kind of like, ah, can't get happy, buddy. Can't really get involved in anything. That's the time you need to lock yourself in a small room and begin reading the Bible out loud to yourself. I'm serious. When you're just, boy, I just don't feel like reading my Bible. That's the best time to go read your Bible. The Puritans said the ones that least are concerned about their righteousness are the ones that need it the most. Isn't that true? It's the same with us. When we're in that doldrums and you just, I'll tell you what, the key to thirsting and hungering and thirsting after righteousness is just getting into the word. And if you've got to force yourself, that's okay. I think it's a good thing. That's called self-discipline, isn't it? Or discipline in itself. Let it work. And you know, have you, you know, you start reading the Bible. Don't, now, are you a night person or a morning person? I don't know. But for me, if I would read the Bible at night, I'm out. Now, wake up. Let me, let me, let me try reading that verse again. Not chapter, verse, right? I got to start in the morning. 
And then I find myself, my mind goes zoom. Because the, the world's got a lot of stuff poking at you, right? I got decisions tomorrow morning. I mean, in fact, even today, it was just, I got a, an irrigation pump that burned up yesterday, like 100 horse. It's a big, messy thing, right? And, and today, even, if we just wanted to suck me into that vortex of being more important than God's word, I said, no, I'm enough of that. Enough of that. I want to, and you know what I had to do? I literally I started reading God's word out loud to me. God didn't need to hear it, but I did. And you know what? A lot of that stuff just goes away then because it's not important. It really ultimately is not important. Devouring God's word. That's hungering and thirsting after his righteousness. I think of Moses, and we talked about him maybe last. He, he fits a lot of the Beatitudes, Moses. You, you know, he lived 120 years. First 40 years, he lived for himself. He did, he, he did what he thought was God's way, uh, God's, God's work, Moses' way. Um, you, life gets complicated, doesn't it? When you want to do God's work your way, oh, it never works out the way you thought. Well, I'm doing, but if he's doing it your way, you're not tuned in. So the next 40 years, he's herding sheep. That is the best way for anyone to get a new perspective on life is herding sheep. That'll get you turned around, people. Moses, the Pharaoh's son, moved in to be a shepherd of, was Jethro, was that his father-in-law? Yeah, Jethro's sheep. Oh, my goodness, right? Oh, all those stupid sheep. And I know he said that. It's not in the Bible, but I know he said it because I've worked with sheep. Now, if Lois was here, she'd be frowning at me right now. I, in fact, I can see her shaking her finger at me right now. And I just say, it's too bad, Lois. It's true. Sheep are hard to handle because they're so into themselves, aren't they? And one follows another, just like Americans, right? It's crazy. No, no, no. And they'll fall off a cliff, and the others will follow right off the cliff. What do you mean you want to get rid of our police? What, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Yes, they are crazy. I'm sorry. I just, that just had to pop out there. That's craziness. But you know what? Crazy follows crazy. you got to think right to live right. It's ridiculous. But here we have Moses. And first, so the middle 40, I'll get back. Real that all back. And here we are. We're back. We're in the middle 40 years of Moses. For 40 years, God's training him. He's retraining him. He's getting him where? He wants him humble. He wants him meek. He loves meek people. People that can depend on God. They can literally say, you know what? I have the power to do that, but I'm going to let you, God. I'm going to let you work with it. I'm going to trust you, God, because I know at the end you've promised me when I'm in Jesus Christ what's mine. And there's no reason for me to shortcut that and try to maneuver my way through it. That is meekness. And you know what? Moses, what was said of him is to be the meekest man on the earth. How did he get it? Because God trained him. And you think about this. Remember the burning bush thing? You're in the midst of the desert and, the burning, and a burning bush. Well, that's probably not weird. That's really not weird. You know, lightning happens and you get fires. And, but what's really weird is it wasn't consumed. It just kept burning. And it's not going away. I've really never seen a bush that's burning that doesn't eventually go out. That one didn't go out. What's up with this? And he sees God and he speaks to him in a very quiet voice. And he said, I've got a job for you. And all from that next 40 years where he led the people of Israel through a crazy wilderness, and they were just as dumb as the sheep, right? But Moses at every step wanted to know more and more and more about who? God. He saw him as close as any man has ever seen God, and he wanted more. Remember that? 
Isn't that beautiful? The more that Moses saw of him, the more that he recognized who God was, the more he wanted to know of him. Let's look at, let's look at David for a moment. Psalm chapter 63. Turn with me there. Psalm chapter 63. Look at this. The, the yearning, the earnestness of hungering and thirsting after God. Uh, this was uh, written by David. He was in the wilderness of Judah, no doubt running from his father-in-law who was trying to kill him. Verse 1 and 2 of 63, Psalm 63. O oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen in the sanctuary. That's hungering and thirsting after God. It never stops. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Here's Paul, the apostle. He's in prison. He's writing to the, to the believers in Philippi. And he says this. Philippians, oops, I'm going the wrong way. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. In fact, he talks about a lot of the things about, if you were going to go from verses 4 through 9, I'm going to let you read that on your own. Write that down in your notes. It talks about his qualifications. So he was a, really, literally, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was, he was full of zeal. And he, he did things with zest, the great deal. And yet it says that I counted all of those things but loss, verse 8. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Watch. Why? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul always wanted to know more and more of God. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 53. Luke chapter 1 and verse 53. Luke 1, 53. Luke one fifty three. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent away empty. That word of satisfaction, that filling to be satisfied. He's filled the hungry with good things. Now the world is seeking happiness, but it can only be treated with the symptoms. I think of entertainment. How much money is spent... Uh, you can say the world or whatever, in the sense of entertainment. Oh, it's gigantic, isn't it? I mean, people are wanting to do whatever it is that feels good to be somewhere where it's maybe different from what they're used to, but to be entertained. It's, it's like seeking an ecstasy, if you will. And it's all in the pursuit of happiness. And we've been saying this throughout this study is if happiness is your driven passion, I'm doing anything I need to do to be happy, you will never be happy. It can't happen. It's impossible. But if you do it God's way, happiness is a byproduct. It just happens. It's a byproduct of righteousness. In this case, as Jesus is laying it out, and the only real happiness is to be right with God. I'm going to say that again. The only real happiness is to be right with God. If you're not right with God, you cannot ever be, right, be happy, truly. Now, let's look at Romans chapter 5. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5. And let's look at verses 17. In particular, I might start a little bit earlier than that. But um, let's see, where are we going to go? Uh, verse 17 will work just right. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. And there's a lot going on in here. In fact, uh, in verse 1 through 5 is so much good stuff. But let's start in verse 17. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense... That's speaking of Adam. 
If by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in the life by one Jesus Christ. See, when you experience salvation, when you receive Jesus Christ, you're given the gift of righteousness. Look at verse 19. We'll continue on. Verse 18, it says, Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made, what? Righteous. It's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Oh, shoot. I just left my... I'm going to go back there. Stay. Don't, don't leave Romans. I've got verse 21 that I want to come back to. You're going to beat me there. that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Someone that is seeking salvation is literally desiring to be free from sin, its power, its presence, and its penalty. Literally, um, if you're seeking, you know know the only way to be happy, this is going to sound so weird right now. I would be so thrown out this door if I was just speaking to a a form, uh, just, what should we say? How to be happy. We're going to have, a, and everybody in the world was, was invited and is here. And I'm at the front and I'm saying, how to be happy. They would throw me out the door when I would say this. The only way to be truly happy is to be free from self. Well, that's what I'm trying to make. Happy is myself. Did, did you not get this? Me- did you not get the memo? Are you the wrong guy? Yeah, no, I'm the right guy because the only way to be happy is to be free from self. That's what Jesus was all about in chapter 5 of Matthew. He says, you've got to get away from yourself. That's why I want to, That's exactly why you'll never be happy. Self will take you down the wrong trail every single time. You'll be only concerned about yourself, and it's impossible to be happy if you're concerned with yourself. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus just laid it right out there. And it's the same today. It's no different. The only way to be happy is to be free from self. Now, sanctification, that's the process after you're saved, after you've trusted Christ as Savior, that day-to-day, that moment-by-moment walk that is so tedious, sometimes so overwhelming that you want to give up, but you can't because you keep hungering for righteousness, the desire to see more and to be more and more like Christ. You never get to the place you've arrived. In fact, go to Philippians. Where did I leave you? Good question, huh? In Romans, let's go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and let's look at verse 9. Again, Paul responding. He's praying something here. This is, I find this interesting. First chapter of Philippians, he's in prison. He's writing to Philippians. He's talking about joy. Isn't that great? Guy in prison talking about joy. Boy, he's going to have a lot. You're kidding me, right? Paul's in prison. He's writing to us about joy. Yeah, he is. Because it's all about perspective. And watch this now. Verse 9, chapter 1. This I pray, Paul speaking, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. It's almost the same with love. See, the Holy Spirit has shed love abroad in your hearts when you come to Christ. And it never stops. It's a continuous expansion upon wanting more and more. Verse 10, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Now watch this, verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ on the glory and the praise of God. He's literally praying for those that they would get it figured out. Let's go back to Luke. 
Luke has a corollary uh, passage to Matthew chapter 5, and there's something he throws in here that I, I probably should have told you earlier, but I just happened to come across it now in my notes. Luke chapter 6, and let's look at verse 21. Uh, verse 6, chapter 6, verse 21. Now, this is Luke's part, uh, take on this particular uh, speech, if you will, of Jesus's, And it says, the whole multitude, verse 19, sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, and he healed them all. Okay, this is, that, that'll bring a crowd. If you, if you start healing people, they're going to keep coming. Because you can see that, you can feel that. Watch what he says. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples, verse 20, and said, Blessed be you poor, for yours is the kingdom of, of God. He started off in the same note. They're like, what is going on with you? Look at verse 21. Blessed are you that hunger now. He adds the word now. It's a continuum. It's something that never stops when you're seeking him, hungering, thirsting for him now. Now, if you're going to go back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, and let's read it that verse 6 again one more time. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And you say, yeah, you said it a couple of times now. Well, in the Greek... There's a, there's a thing called partial genitive. In other words, let me say it this. I'm going to try to set this up and give an example. I'm hungering for food. Now, in the, in, the, in, the American, in the English language, that's the way it is. Okay. Now, in the Greek language, that would mean this. Without a partial genitive, it would mean this. I'm hungering for food. That would be you're hungering for all of the food in the entire world. Okay? But that's not what the Greeks normally would have done, they would have made that partial genitive and basically would have said, I'm hungering for of food. I want some food. Don't need it all. I just need some food. It was the same. And that's how there's examples of that in the Greek saying that way. You don't need it all. I just need some. But guess what the Greek language is right here in this passage of Scripture? The partial genitive is not there. So he's literally saying, Hunger and thirst for all, the big picture of righteousness. All of it, you want all of it. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Jesus left that out for a reason. You're not just going to go get a little, oh, I, just give me a splash of righteousness for today. I just use a little of that and maybe just a pinch of it tomorrow, like salt, right? You Just a pinch, pinch of righteousness. No, 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 no. The way it's set out, it's beautiful how it's laid out, especially if, if you were in the Greek. You're seeking for all of it. Every bit of it, not leaving any of it behind or out. It's a magnificent thought as you unfold that for all that there is. And again, remembering that the hungering and thirsting of righteousness is what you're being commended for. Being, being, not the possessing of it. It's the searching for it, the wanting it, the desiring of it. Filled. We find that word to be in the last part of that verse, to be filled. Tell me what that means. It says that, Blessed are those which are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be filled. What does that mean, filled? No more capacity. Full. Completely got, you're, you're satisfied. Now, this is, gonna, this is coming from a rancher right now, because this, this to me just... When I, when I read, because that is, it, it's actually a picture that Greeks would have used in, re, in reference to animals. It was to feed an animal to its completion. It would be a satisfied animal. You know what popped in my mind immediately? The rancher part of me? 
I was just thinking, in a cow, the most satisfied that a cow can be is she's sitting on her favorite place, and they have their favorite places. You may not know that, but they do. They have their favorite place to lay. And she's sitting there. I don't know why it's a cow right now. I'm just thinking of a cow. Bull's the same way. They're sitting there, and they actually have their eyes closed, and they're chewing their cud. They are completely, 100% satisfied in an ecstasy of having gotten everything they've needed to have a great day. That is the analogy that came to me. Because you know what? It's one of the things, actually, when we just, when we pen ride, are we looking for cattle that are not well or not healthy or are, are, are unsatisfied, quite honestly? I'm looking for cattle that are chewing their cud because if they're chewing their cud, everything's good. Everything's good. And you know what? When we devour the word of God, when we're seeking, when we're hungering, thirsting after righteousness, guess what? We as Christians, as bad as it sounds, we're chewing our cud. We're happy. And you say, Larry, that's too far. I'm just telling you, it's a rancher speaking right now, right? But you show me a cow that's chewing her cud, and I will show you one as satisfied as possible. They are completely content. And that's the sense of, fill, of being filled. When we're thirsting and hungering for righteousness... We literally be filled to be completely 100% satisfied. Look at James 2.16. Now, that's another word. Now, we're, be careful because it's the, the message that James is getting. Let's go to James chapter 2, verse 16. I don't know if I told you that. James chapter 2, verse 16. The message behind it can kind of thwart what we're trying to get at here because he's literally condemning someone that would say this. But I want you to see the sense of satisfaction that is perceived from this person that is engaged here. Verse, first John chapter 2, verse 16. Oh, no. Did I get that wrong? I'm in first. Okay. Thank you. It is not first John chapter 2. That's one I just read to you. Let's go to James. Just stay there if you're in James. I'll catch up. I do that once in a while. James chapter 2, and we'll turn to verse 16. Now, let's first of all, We'll start in verse 14. We'll make this kind of fit its context. James chapter 2, verse 14 says, But what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith, but he have not works? Can faith save him? He goes on to illustrate now. Verse 15. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, that's someone that's going to be hungry and thirsty, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye filled, I'm sorry, warmed and filled. Do you see the word filled? Again, that's the sense of complete satisfaction. Notwithstanding, you give them those things which are needful of body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Now, the point that I wanted to just zoom in, but I want to keep our context, was that person that's not going to do anything about it said, oh, go ahead and be warmed and filled. It's the same thing we're talking about, to be completely 100% satisfied. Now, James is taken to another life. He said, well, wait a minute. If you just tell that person to do that and you don't do anything about it, what you talk about is your faith, that's worthless. Faith without works is dead. And you, you show me your faith, you show me your works, and then I can look at, I can see your faith. But you tell me about faith with no works, and I'll just say it's worthless. But to be warm and filled, it's the same picture there. The same picture. Let's take a look at some stuff in the Psalms. Take your Bibles and crack back to the Psalms. Psalms chapter 107, 107 and verse 9. 107, verse 9. It says in 107 verse 9, he says, For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. That's exactly what we're talking about here in Matthew chapter, chapter 5. That was Psalm 107 verse 9. Then turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Psalm 34. 
and verse 10. Psalm 34.10, powerful verse here. Again, this was written by David at a very low point in his life. It says, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Even think of, just turn back to Psalm 23. Remember that? Psalm 23, verse 1. Precious psalm that everyone is, is very enraptured with. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I will not need, is what he's saying. And it goes on to say that even the, the, his cup runneth over. It's not just full, it's running over. Jesus satisfies. There's no question about it. Uh, in John chapter 4, maybe I'll just have you write that down. But remember, he said to the woman at the well, what did he tell her? What got her interest piqued when he said, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. She wanted that water, right? She was thinking it from a physical sense, but literally he was speaking it from a, phys- from, a, from a spiritual sense. When you drink of my water, the living water, you won't need any other water. <laughs> he said the same thing about the bread of life. I am the bread of life. The kingdom... He's really talking about the kingdom, and they have a passion for righteousness. So let's, let's, let's bring this thing to a close. The question that we should be asking ourselves, how do I know that I am hungering and thirsting for righteousness? It's a great question, isn't it? Because Jesus said, you're going to be happy if you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Where are you going to be filled? And he, Now, I will say this. If you're not happy... You're probably not hungry and thirsting for righteousness. That's the, that's the other side of the coin, right? But let's say that you want to know if you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. How would you know that? How would you know that? We've already kind of answered, we've asked one question. Are you dissatisfied with yourself? I mean, do you, do you go to bed at night and say, man, I kind of blew that deal. I had a couple of those nights this week. You know, you just think, you know, I could have done that better. I didn't handle that real well. And, I'm, and again, it's not necessarily even how you respond. It's how you responded inside to God. You see what I'm saying? You know, you know, have you been in those moments where he's like, God, what are you doing? You know, is that the right way? No, there's probably a better way. And I don't care where you're at in your walk. There's always a level to be become better. And if you're a little bit dissatisfied, that's good. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, I'm worried about you saying, I'm completely satisfied with myself. I did it the right way. I feel good about where I'm at. I don't need to really improve on anything. You need to improve a lot in a lot of areas. Let's start at the beginning, right? How about Romans chapter 7? Remember that? Um, that would be a perfect picture of how Paul responded. Let's go to Romans chapter 7. Here's a man that I would have to say that, you know, Paul, I mean, that guy, he was something, right? He was something. But in his mind, he struggled with it himself. These are what I'm talking about. Are you dissatisfied with yourself? Does Romans 7 resonate to you? Romans chapter 7. Let's just start in verse 15 and get a, a flavor for what he's struggling with himself. This is Paul. His personal, personal notes, which I actually am very thankful that he recorded them. Verse 15. For that which I, Paul being the, uh, the person speaking, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, uh, that do I not. And what I hate, well, that's what I do. And then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I don't, and the evil which I would not, that I do. I, does, that, does that resonate with you? It does, doesn't it? He's so truthful. 
And then he goes down to the bottom, though, and he says this in verse 24. Sometimes I like this. I, it, you know, it just, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And he answers the question. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. Another question we can ask ourselves is, does anything externally satisfy you? And I, it, it, that's a little bit tricky because to say if anything does is not necessarily wrong, but if you have to have something externally to satisfy you, then you've missed the real importance. In other words, do you have to go buy something new to feel good about yourself for a little bit? Good. That's that, that, that would, the shaking from side to side is good. Because we're seeking after the wrong things if we are. Now, now I, will say, I will say this. Let's say you have a hungry man. Okay? You got those. Remember those hungry man dinners? Okay? This is, this is, this is just coming out of here. This is not in my notes, so let's hang on. Let's see where this goes. I may have to shut it off and start over. But you got the hungry man dinner. Okay? And the hungry man is ready to eat. He's ready to pop this baby into the microwave and eat. And he opens it up, and it's flowers. Is that going to satisfy the hungry man? No, not a chance. And the women really answered that first, right? It's not going to work. Or how about the hungry man and somebody comes and plays a beautiful, beautiful mus a musical selection with a violin. Did it satisfy him? No, he's hungry. He doesn't need music. He doesn't need flowers. He needs food. <laughs> right? And literally, if we seek external things to be satisfied and to be happy, you won't be. What does that hungry man need? He needs food. <laughs> I'm trying to be way more assertive than normal because it's the same thing. What I want you to get at is the only way for us to be satisfied is to get after and to devour God's word. That's hungering and thirsting after righteousness. The more that we devour God's word, and I like that word because I, now don't go home and eat your Bible, but literally devour what's there, right? Take it in. In fact, Jeremiah actually said that in verse chapter 31 of Jeremiah. He said, I heard the Lord, and I ate the words. I eat his words. He wanted that to be so much part of him. It's the same thing. If you want to get close to God, eat the meat of the word. That's the only way we'll be satisfied. Hungry man, you could give him a lot of stuff. In fact, think of Esau for a moment. Nothing was important to him at the moment that he was going to die of hunger. I don't know how hungry he was, but all of the things that should have been sacred to him meant nothing to him. And Joseph, or not Joseph, what was that? Jacob, he was so smart, wasn't he? He says, this is an opportunity for me, being as cunning as I am. So he said, I've got some food, and I bet it smelled great. But here's the deal, Esau. I'm going to trade this bowl of, was it porridge? Is that what it was? I think so. Lentil soup. Good enough. Whatever. He, he was, now, that wouldn't have got my birthright. I'm going to tell you that right now. I could have been really hungry. That wouldn't have got her to me. Now, a good T-bone might. No, it wouldn't have. Wouldn't have. But, you, but you see how, how insatiable his appetite was for physical things and missed everything that he'd given up. Don't let us do that. That's what I'm talking about. Do the external satisfy you? They should never satisfy you in the sense of your fulfillment of spiritual wellness. And sometimes we misinterpret that. We know you've got to have this, you've got to have that. Gotta, this has to. No, none of that stuff will satisfy you. You live like Jesus wants you to live in it. Then happiness, that fulfillment comes as what? A byproduct to be fulfilled. 
and we've already talked about it, but do you have a great deal? In fact, that, let's go to uh, Jeremiah chapter 15. I, I think I told you the wrong uh, chapter. I think I said 31 just a moment ago. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16. If not, just write it down and you can check me out in, the, in, your, in, your note, in my notes later. Uh, let's see, verse 16. Yeah, here it is. Uh, Jeremiah 15, 16. Pretty, pretty right on the spot. Thy words, Jeremiah speaking, thy words were found, and I did eat them. <laughs> and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. He literally was eating God's words. He wanted to have all that he could get. Now, the other thing we would ask ourselves is our hungering and thirsty, thirsting for God's righteousness conditional? We're starting to close up now. Is it conditional? Well, what do you mean, Larry? What do you mean is it conditional? Well, I'm going to take you to uh, a man that was described as being a ruler. And later we found he was rich. And he came to Jesus. Let's find him in, uh, let's see if I can figure that out. I think we're going to have to go to Luke. And uh, da, 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 da. how come I don't know where that's at right now? We will find it, though. Let's try. Chapter 18, I think, is where we need to be. Yeah, chapter 18 of Luke, and uh, we'll start in verse 15. We'll bring our context. And Jesus is, he's, he's going to have some little kids, some infants, as it's described for us. In verse 15 of Luke chapter 18, it says this, 18:15. They brought unto him also infants, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him, and he said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily, or truly, I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God is as a, as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. And that must have taken a little bit of thought. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, are you telling me that... The, now, you're really... Jesus, what are you saying? I mean, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all these really brilliant guys that are possessing of everything, they, they are possessors of righteousness. Just ask them. That's exactly why Jesus took him to task, right? That's exactly. The, and he said, "No, you must come as a little child." How did you know a little child? I love that their their questions are so humble, aren't they? Daddy, why? And the whys go on and on and on, don't they? But they really want to know. They're honest. They're they're open, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying. But now, watch. Here comes this guy, verse eighteen. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, "Good master, what shall I do to inherit?" eternal life well wonderful question and jesus said unto him why callest thou me good none is good save one that is god thou knowest the commandments do not commit adultery do not steal do not i'm sorry do not kill do not steal do not bear false witness honor your father and thy mother and he said well really quite honestly all of these things i've been doing from my youth up oh my goodness you are wowzers right mr righteous right here He's got it. And Jesus must have known that because then he says this. When Jesus heard these things, verse 22, he said unto him, Oh, yet one thing you lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. 
Now, that really blew their mind. I don't want to get off into that, but read the rest of that, what Jesus had to say. But think of this now. Here is this rich ruler. Now, I don't know why they call him his... Have you ever heard of this? Everybody calls it the, the rich young ruler. Where does it say young in there? It doesn't. Okay? So I've, I've said it for, the, for, for as many years as I can remember, but that's a rich ruler, not a rich young ruler. It just said from his youth he kept it, kept the commandment, which is, means he's a lying rich ruler. That's what he should be called. <laughs> can you tell me someone that's kept all the Ten Commandments all their life and never missed one? Ever? Of course not. Because why would Jesus have had to die? But this guy said he did. Nice going. But the point of the matter was, this was a man that was conditional on seeking and thirsting after righteousness. He said, well, I still want my stuff, and then I want eternal life. So I want Jesus and my stuff. I, want, I would take Jesus and my extramarital affair. I want Jesus and my bad habits. I want Jesus... No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus is saying in the Matthew chapter 5. You need a hunger and thirst for righteousness only. Only. Don't make hungering and thirsting conditional. Well, as long as I can keep this, then I want to have righteousness. No, 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 no. <laughs> Aren't these questions, they're kind of probing, aren't they, a bit? Just the way Jesus would want them. He would say the very same thing to us. Let's take a look at Psalm 144 in verse 15. 144 in verse 15. Let's see. Psalm 144 in verse 15. A psalm of David, nonetheless. Could you imagine anything else being other than from David? Verse 15, chapter 144. Happy is that people... That is in such a case. Yes, happy is that people. It's like he's wanting to really focus on happy. Did you notice he said happy three times? How, what, is, what, what do you mean? Happy that is that people who? Whose God is the Lord. If, if God is your Lord, if he is literally supreme in your life, I can tell you, you will be happy. Isn't that cool? Just the way Jesus said it. Just the way he said it. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That's what Jesus wants us to do because it's good for us. I'll take you to, uh, I want to take a couple more psalms while you're there and then we'll close, we'll close with this portion of the, of the, of the service. Uh, psalm chapter 27. And guess what? It's another psalm of David. Verse 4. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Would that not be hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Chapter 42 of Psalms. Psalm 42. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? There's another perfect perfect. Um, example of someone that's hungering and thirsting after God. Can't stay away, literally. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you want to be happy, if you want to experience fulfillment, if you want to see all that I have for you, then hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's pray. Father God, thank you 
for the opportunity we've had to look to the scriptures. Thank you for Jesus in sharing these incredibly powerful words that would have caught that crowd and any other crowd off guard as he spoke about kingdom life, talked about entrance into the kingdom and then the characteristics of it once you're there. To think of, Father, how mighty, how powerful, how outrageously awesome that you are. And when we're hungering and thirsting after you, nothing could be more fulfilling. Nothing could be more complete and satisfying than to be hungering and thirsting after Almighty God. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to accomplish this week. And Father, I just pray for those that are here and that that are hearing my voice, that literally God is in charge, He's in command, He's fully and completely in control, and He loves people. Jesus Christ died for all, and all may come freely to Him. To think of that, to think of grace to be that magnanimous, as John the Baptist even said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Is exactly what Jesus' purpose was, what His focus was, and what His, the finality, His last words even, it is finished, saying it was completed. The fulfillment of the law was made complete. Grace was unfolded, unpacked, and made open to all that would come in humbleness and in meekness before a God that is almighty and supreme. Thank you, God, for what you've accomplished and what you're doing. Give strength and wisdom to these, dear ones, and use them, Father, in a way that is glorifying to yourself. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.